Welcome to In Our Experience, a podcast exploring the many ways of living well with Nourish Yoga Training. I'm your host, Harriet, yoga teacher and founder of Nourish. Today, I'm joined by Chelsea Roth. Chelsea is the founder and director of Eat, Breathe, Thrive and the co-executive director of the Give Back Yoga Foundation. An author, researcher and educator, she has spent nearly a decade pioneering integrative health programs for people with mental health challenges. In 2011, Chelsea offered the first Yoga for Eating Disorders program to clients at a treatment centre where she had once been treated for anorexia. This later became the heart of Eat, Breathe, Thrive, a seven-week intervention that combines yoga, meditation and psychoeducation to help people recover from eating disorders. I had a great time talking with Chelsea. Uh, She's a close friend and we could have talked for much, much longer. We covered yoga for eating disorders, starting our mornings with word puzzles and practicing agency. And content note on this episode, we do talk about eating disorders. So do take care if you need to. Let me know what you think about this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Harriet. Welcome to In Our Experience. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks. I was glad to have an excuse to come to Oxford. I know. I'm very, very pleased to have you sitting across from me. We we do record quite a few of these digitally, but nothing beats having a person in the room. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to remember how long it's been since we were together in the flesh. Oh, that is a good question. Was it last summer... You came to Oxford and borrowed camping equipment from me. Oh, that's right. That's right. Is that it? Yeah, that was... And we went to the pub. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you loaned me um, blankets and sleeping bags for a camping trip. Gosh, that feels like ages ago. I know. It was. It was was midway into the pandemic. It was like on one of those little breaks, I think. Maybe not midway. Was that last year? No, yeah. Yeah, it was last year because I was on Rosamond on my boat now. True. Yeah. Anyhow, it's been too long. It's been too long. Well, it's lovely <laughs> to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, we're going to get started with the the same question that I ask every guest. Uh, so what's nourishing you this week? And it can be big, little, silly, small, very serious if you want to. I'll share mine first to, to help you get started. So my nourishing thing this week is that I got my nails done yesterday. Ooh. I know, I'm going to show the camera. Um, and they're sparkly. Oh, I was noticing those at lunch, actually. They are freshly, freshly done. They are freshly done. And my hot tip is for anybody that gets their nails done, if you're up for a sparkle, my theory is that the sparkles last longer than a matte color. <laughs> I feel like that could be true in uh, in life as well, a metaphor for life. The sparkles last longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, than just like flat, flat colors. Well, I think it's because they show the wear less. So mm. then I'm less inclined to pick at them. Yeah. And hence, I got four weeks out of my last set of sparkles. Wow. I know. Wow. I was in, I was in like a phase of doing my nails really regularly. And then I got out of it in the pandemic and I've never gone back. Mm. Like not, not fingers or toes. Wow. I know. And it's been like years of doing them. And now I'm, now I'm like, oh, now I'm out of the habit and I'm saving 30 pounds a month. So. <laughs> yeah, I know they are expensive. Yeah. But I figure like I'm pretty low maintenance in literally every other aspect. Yes. I get my hair done like twice a year. Oh, do it. Self-care. I don't do my toes though, just fingers. Okay. Interesting. Because it's not summer yet. My shoe, like nobody sees my feet right now. <laughs> Summer's coming though. It is. Yeah. And then it's, it's so interesting. We'll get to your nourishing thing in a moment. But <laughs> I have a tangent. I thought we were just going to do a podcast I, about my nails. <laughs> Well, I'm just about to talk about my feet. So people are weirdly, people are weirdly obsessed with my feet. Like 
Have I talked about this before on the podcast, Matt? I feel like maybe I have. No, Matt's shaking his head at me. But, um, yeah, no, people are into my feet. Okay. In like Which a, kinds of people? Like people at the grocery oh, store, they just stop yeah. and go, oh, my so goodness. Sometimes, okay. it's, sometimes it's that because my feet, because I have tattoos on my feet, people are like, I'll catch them looking. And then occasionally I'll be walking down the street and somebody will be like, I love your feet tattoos. And I'm like, cool, thanks. And then <laughs> a, there's like a really interesting subset of people on Instagram that message me about my feet. Interesting. Mm. I feel like you could really uh, do a side hustle here with like, this. Only could, fans, just you, for my exactly. Feet. <laughs> you could you could really bring in some bucks on this passive revenue, really. I know, and they're like, and they're quite sort of like they're quite interesting feet to look at because I've got like yogi feet, right? So they're like really broad, <laughs> and I can control my toes really well. So yeah, maybe I should start an OnlyFans just for my feet. I I'm all in support of the entrepreneurial use of feet, really. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh. Wonderful, thank you. Um, and what's nourishing me? Yeah, what's um, nourishing well, you? Well, not your feet. Oh. <laughs> but I'm sure you're nourishing somebody with your feet talk I'm today. Really, I really am. I bet it's like ASMR, like they're hearing you talk about your feet and they're just like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Okay. Um, what's nourishing me? Well, I've got to get, I've got to like actually get the imagery of feet out of my head for a moment. <laughs> take a, take a breath. <laughs> um, this week in particular, you know, the first thing that's coming to mind is um, my morning routine. Oh, do tell. We yeah. love a routine. Yeah. Because it's, well, it's not like one thing, but I've been. Uh, um, I've just kind of structured my morning in a way that's been, and I guess I noticed it today because my morning routine was a little thrown off. <laughs> so, so that's um, not in a bad, not in a bad way. But my mornings recently, I've been waking up, having a quiet cup of coffee by the window, and it's getting light again. So it's been so nice to actually have sun at that time of morning and to have birdsong. Um, I'll be honest, Quirtle and Wordle are working their way into my morning routine. Interesting. <laughs> so that's kind of intruding upon my morning routine. But I guess a little bit of like, and if you don't know what those are, they're like fun little word games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I study a little bit of Arabic. And then I usually go to the pool and do a quick swim to start my days. And like that combination of quiet kind of contemplation and kind of using my brain and waking it up a little bit and going to the pool and doing like a moving meditation in the water has been really nice yeah i am not a wordle person (gasps) oh my god well stop the interview (laughs) um i am a spelling bee person though have you ever played spelling bee no what is spelling bee so it's like the og new york times word puzzle okay where you have like a letter in the middle. So there's seven letters and you have to make as many four letter or more words, but it has to include the central letter. Oh. And um, you can use letters more than once. Ooh. Yeah. So okay. and, it's, and then you're ranked depending on this, like, so words are scored. Ooh. So four letter words, you get one point. And then any word... Beyond four letters, you get a point per letter. So a five-letter word is worth five points. And then you've got to try and get the panagrams where you use all the letters. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to try it on my way it's back. It's really fantastic. Um, and like I get to the genius level, which is the top level. Well, of course you do. Every day. I mean, you didn't even have to come. And there are only three words that I didn't get today so far, but I've still got, you know, like a few hours left today. Is there anything above the genius level? There's, there's queen bee, but that's like when you get all of the words. Okay. And I've only ever got that once. Okay. But I was close today. There's only three words I haven't got. So it's like ticking away in the back of my mind. What were those three words? Did they tell you at the end what the three words were? They tell you were? the next day. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think there was only three words I didn't get yesterday either. It's just like that final. You're so close to Queen Bee. You're just, <sighs> you're just like right there. I know. And yesterday the words that I didn't get were like acacia. And acacia? Like, acacia. It's a type of tree. <laughs> and um, uh, Pitta Pat was another one that I didn't get yesterday. And like picante. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> that's really funny. I've been getting mad at, at Wordle recently. There's been some words that I'm like, that's not a word. And now you're just trying to, now you're just taking the piss. You're just trying to trick us. Yeah. shawl and shawl two days in a row. And I was like, that's just silly. Oh, that's rude. Come on. Yeah, that's lazy. That's lazy editing. Um, I really love it when you get naughty words in in Queen Bee, in oh, Spelling Bee. Because like occasionally you'll get like, there was one very memorable day where you got like labia and oh. anal and I was I was so happy about it I was like <laughs> so you you may not like wordle but there's also a variation on wordle called loodle and it's only not two words owned. oh I love that <laughs> yeah 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 so it's all so you have to have like I've got a friend who plays and he hates it because he's basically like he's like he doesn't know enough naughty words the, oh yeah. mm, that's not my issue <laughs> Wonderful. Well, <Yeah. laughs> I just um, I love this segue around like feet into word games, into morning routines. I, I was really here for it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about you. I would love to hear about your your background and how it is that you describe what you do. Sure. Um, so I, I wear two major hats at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the founder and director of a nonprofit organization called Eat, Breathe, Thrive. Mm -hmm. And our mission is to prevent and help people overcome eating disorders. And we do that um, mainly through yoga and yoga therapy. Um, so that's an organization I started almost 10 years ago, which is, I know it's crazy that it's been that long. Uh, and then I also have a second hat on these days as um, newly actually co-executive director of the Give Back Yoga Foundation, mm, which is very exciting. Yeah. And you're, a, you're one of our trustees here in the I UK. Am. Yeah. So it's a, um, a nonprofit in the US and now a registered charity in the United Kingdom. And um, that organization has a bit more of a broad focus supporting yoga teachers and yoga therapists to bring yoga to all people and especially those facing illness and hardship. Lovely. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. I, love, I mean, I think both aspects of it, we, and we originally met through the sort of yoga, I don't know, yoga service sector back when I was in my yoga quota days. Um, and you know, it's been it's actually it's been a real pleasure to sort of see 
how the work that you've been doing has grown and shifted over years and now to have the the wonderful recognition of being co-executive director. Yeah, along alongside Rob Schwer, who oh, really was Rob. yeah, my entry point into this world. So it's it's really cool. I, I think I reached a point in my career a few years ago with Eat, Breathe, Thrive. You know, I, I love it. It's my passion is working mm-hmm. with people with eating disorders because um, I had one when I was a kid. But I got to this point where I was sort of like, okay, I've been doing this for a few years and what's mm-hmm. next? How's it going to mm-hmm. evolve? Like, mm-hmm. how do I, you know, and that's more of a selfish thing. Like, how am I going to be, how do I continue to challenge myself? And Give Back Yoga was such a great opportunity because it's, it's all kinds of challenges. You know, how mm. do you... How do you do this kind of work at scale with lots yeah. of different populations yeah. and healthcare systems? So. And running, and also just like the logistics and organizational skills of running a big organization, you know, that's a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So is that how you came to yoga initially? Was it part of your eating disorder recovery? Yeah. Oh, kind of. That's a good question. I, I'd had an eating disorder when I was, you know, throughout my adolescence mm-hmm. and ended up um, in hospital for my late teens. And I didn't get into yoga at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to university and studied neuroscience and started, I started practicing yoga then and also studying yoga at that okay. time. So it was like, it was definitely helping me at that early stage of recovery to um, feel better in my body, to deal with some of the mental health issues that I was still sort of struggling with, so mm. depression, anxiety, et cetera. Um, but I don't think I, at the time, wanted to be kind of open about the fact that I'd had an eating disorder. Mm. So my way in was like, I'll go study yoga for cancer. <laughs> and I'll study, and I wanted sure. to do like the scientific yeah, background yeah, yeah. so that it looked legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was, yeah. Yeah, it's re- it's really it's really tricky to be open about like having an eating disorder because mm. I had one, mm. and I talk about it with almost nobody. Really? Yeah. Like, I, it's I'm not I don't I don't hide it, but I that feeling of like not wanting to be open about it definitely mm. resonates. Like. It what just do, feels sticky. What do you think? What do you think the stickiness is? What do you think? Like, do you think it's a fear of, like, kind of how people will think about you, mm. or? Uh, I. <clears throat> it's a really good question. I think for me, a really, really big part of my recovery was changing the people that I spoke to, like Mm. changing the people that are around me, changing the media that I consumed um, so that I could give myself, um, I think, breathing space to heal. Mm. And I think one of my worries in talking about it with people is that I'm going to be confronting again, like diet culture and like all of the things that really, you know, it wasn't caused by diet culture but it definitely exacerbated Mm. it and now that I work in the wellness industry Mm. I'm sort of like constantly having to do the work of like you know managing that like it's recovery right like I don't think like I don't think I would ever relapse but I'm also not sure that I would ever call myself cured like Mm. so you know I guess it's it's more a fear about like what it would do to me to talk about it with people and have to like manage other people's emotions around it. Mm. That Mm. concerns me. 
Yeah, and also I, I think what you mentioned around diet culture in the wellness and yoga industry is it's so pervasive. And I think, you know, I hear from a lot of people in recovery from eating disorders that are in the yoga space mm. that also don't want to have to do the work of constantly having to educate 100%. or to push back or to say, yeah. well, actually, I don't, I don't really think that sugar is the cause of most yeah. illnesses. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or like, yeah. it's, I mean, yeah. there is it. Like, it comes with a. Once you're out about it and open about it, mm -hmm. then people feel a freedom to ask about it, to talk about it, and often to bring feet back into the conversation, put their mm -hmm. foot in their mouths. Uh -huh. <laughs> Do and don't mean to do harm, but 100%. they they do. And I think around food, and then also around bodies, you know, yeah. and what kinds of bodies are good bodies, and all of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and I think for me, it's also the knowledge that initially my yoga practice really. I mean, my my eating disorder was like ticking away for a really long time mm. and then it got really it got quite cute but um my yoga practice made it worse I was going to ask you that question yeah. do you feel like yoga helped or, or no, hurt? It, it hurt at the beginning and then it was um yeah because it was a it was just another way of controlling things and mm. um or gave me an illusion of control mm. I should say and yeah it was only like now it's really helpful, but that's after like a decade of therapy. <laughs> Interesting. So I I guess I would be curious around one, do you think it was like mental control or was it also trying to control and fix your body? And then the other mm. thing is what, what about those years of therapy shifted, like what shifted in terms of how you related to the practice or how you mm. show up in practice? Yeah, I think it was both. I think it was like a like a mental control, mm. like I'm controlling myself. Mm. And then also an element of like, I'm controlling my body mm. through my practice mm. by making it look a certain way or do certain shapes yeah. or, you know, like it's very satisfying. Mm. Um, and then I think, I think, I mean, what therapy helped me understand was what was like at the root of it all for me. And you know, once I sort of understood that and I could see um, my eating disorder as, I don't know, I guess like a, a manifestation or like a symptom of an underlying issue. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to realize that like, oh, if, well, I could chase my own tail trying to like solve the ED, but actually the underlying issue is this and I need to like, that's the harder work. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing that I need to look at. Um, and then yoga became something that was like a tool and a resource, you know, ra you know, for benefit rather than for harm. Yeah. It's funny. We, um, yesterday actually I did a, uh, it's, we call it a client observation, but it's like a one-on-one -on -one session with a client where we've got facilitators there kind of learning how to work one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm just mm. reflecting back to something she said, because it was almost exactly the same. Mm. I was asking her about, you know, what kind of doing an intake. So what mm. kind of what kind of treatment have you gotten? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Mm -hmm. And one of the things she was saying is she said, well, I've gotten treatment. I've gone to therapy. I've gone and seen a psychiatrist. I've gone and seen dietitians, but all we talk about is the food. Mm. And she was like, I go in, they give me a meal plan. We talk about my problematic eating disorder behaviors. We talk about black and white thinking, which are all really helpful. Yeah. There's like cognitive behavioral techniques, but she goes, I just never feel like I've been getting to the, like, why, yeah. why am I using food mm. in this way to mm -hmm. cope? Um, and 
she spoke about how impactful yoga had been in helping her, um, I think, do some of that self-reflection, but Mm -hmm. also, I think, practically just start to cultivate some care and compassion for Mm -hmm. herself and to stay with herself in difficult emotions rather Mm -hmm. than running away or distracting with exercise or all of that. So it's... A hundred percent. I mean, that really speaks to my experience. I was so lucky. I think when I started therapy, I was so, so lucky with the therapist that I landed with. Mm. Um, And I'm so grateful it wasn't CBT. Like I I understand (laughs) that like CBT is enormously beneficial for lots of people, but it's never been, it's never worked for me. Yeah. Um, I needed something that was much more um, relational. Mm. Um, So my, my therapist was a, what she call herself? Like an interrelational therapist. So it was like, you know, I would go in and we didn't talk about eating disorders for months. Mm. We just talked about relationships And she was like, let's talk about, you know, your relationship with your partner or your relationship with your friends Mm. or your family. Mm. Like, and it was like unpicking all of that, that, you know, was, was the, was the gateway to me. And then I really remember I had, then that therapist had a baby and she, you know, couldn't see you anymore because she was giving birth was so you know so rude um so she (laughs) she transitioned me to to one of her colleagues in the same practice and um I was really resistant angry about it at first because I was like you know I understand why people have breakdowns when their therapist dies because you know oh oh a hundred percent such an important relationship anyway I started seeing this this new like replacement therapist and I'd gone in one day and I'd had a bad a bad week with eating disorder behaviors. And I was like wanting, I really remember this feeling of like wanting to go in and wanting her to like be angry at me for it. And she just wouldn't because it's not her job. But also she said something to me, which I'll never forget. She was like, I'm less interested in what you did. Like, I'm not really, I don't really, I don't really, not really that interested in how this manifested. I'm interested in what got you to that point this week. And that was like a real aha moment for me um in terms of shifting my perspective on how I thought about the behaviors Mm. and and what was happening yeah I think there can be like such a temptation to want um an external person and sometimes a therapist to almost um embody that punitive voice we already have with Mm -hmm. ourselves right so it's you know sometimes we learn it growing up from our parents or from authorities in school but we Mm -hmm. have this like you know better you should have done this better you know all all of that that's like very self-punitive and like exactly the opposite of what's needed to foster change Mm -hmm. which is curiosity and reflection and, you know, as your therapist said, like, why? What what mm-hmm. drove you there? Yeah. Um, but sometimes with a therapist or a yoga teacher or a partner or a friend, we're like, can't you get mad at me? Can't you just <laughs> externalize the voice in my I head know. that is, you know, so mean sometimes? I know. It's, um, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting process. So tell me a little bit about the, the work that you do at Eat, Breathe, Thrive and sort of how you're helping people. Sure. Um, so... I mentioned that I um, got into yoga through the study of yoga. So I was Mm -hmm. working in um, neuroscience and health psychology and uh, was studying yoga interventions for people with cancer and people with HIV, breast cancer specifically. And I never, I never intended to start a nonprofit. That was was not (laughs) like, oh, I think I'll I'll start a nonprofit. But um, 
I wanted to raise some money to do a research study Mm -hmm. on yoga and eating disorders Mm because I knew it was very helpful for me. Mm. Um, So again, wanted to stick with the scientific thing. Um, God, that would have been like 2013, I think, that I raised $50,000 on a crowdfunding campaign and started the organization. And I mentioned that because the the whole premise originally was just to do a study on yoga and eating disorders Mm. and that's informed the whole eat breathe thrive approach Mm -hmm. um so i raised that money and then i was like oh Oh, I wasn't expecting to actually raise the money. <laughs> I have to do something I, with yeah, it. I was like, I, I hadn't thought this far. <laughs> now what? Um, so I actually went to Give Back Yoga, which was this nonprofit organization that was like an incubator for small nonprofits back mm. then. And I said, I've got $50,000. I need to put it in a bank account. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can I can I put this in under the Give Back Yoga umbrella? Mm-hmm. Um, so started Eat, Breathe, Thrive then as a nonprofit under the Give Back Yoga umbrella and then created a seven-week intervention that was a combination of yoga, um, tools from the psychotherapy world, mm-hmm. and um, actually volunteer work in the mm-hmm. local community. To So I created that intervention so we could study it. <laughs> Um, and now, today, um, we have studied it, but it's it's an intervention that I train yoga teachers, yoga therapists, and mental health professionals to deliver in their local community mm-hmm. and increasingly on, you know, virtual platforms like mm. Zoom. So what it looks like is um, a psychologist or a counselor or a yoga therapist um, brings together a group of a dozen people. And um, each week, those people meet uh, for one session per week for two hours. And the first hour is group discussion, psychotherapy, kind of based exercises, um, really designed to be practically useful. And mm-hmm. then the second hour is a yoga meditation practice designed to help them embody all the stuff they've been working on. Mm. And I mean, there just must be such demand for these sorts of services because I mean I know that in the UK the wait list for eating disorder treatment on the NHS is years yeah and it's it's gotten so much worse during the pandemic mm-hmm. um you know you can there's, why do you think that is I think similar I mean, apart from the obvious of like <laughs> global pandemic stressful yeah yeah, yeah. Well, it's that but I think that we all know, like, the the pandemic's been stressful for all of us. Social Mm. isolation has Mm -hmm. been stressful for all of us. I think it's exacerbated, if not kick-started, a lot of mental health issues, Mm -hmm. you know, worldwide. But I think for somebody with an eating disorder or the history of an eating disorder, um, that social isolation piece can be particularly harmful. So Mm. what we saw early in the pandemic, especially in the U.S., was um, treatment centers having to close their doors uh, because it wasn't safe to have people in this, you know, all Mm -hmm. in a group group setting um, and sent patients home. And then, and they went home to the very same circumstances that had triggered their eating disorders to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they were at home and away from maybe some of the resources that had been helping them at that moment, whether that be a face-to-face visit with a therapist or going to school or going to daily activities that, you know, helped Mm. all of that. So, um, I think the same thing happened with addiction recovery. I know that from our, our work with um, Nikki Myers at Yoga for 12-Step Recovery. Um, I think I read heard on uh, a Guardian podcast the other day that 
opioid deaths are up like three times what they were oh, before the pandemic. I listened to the same episode. Yeah, it <laughs> Don't was, quote me on that, yeah. but it was a lot. We can, we will, we'll link, we'll link that episode. Of, it was Today in Focus, yeah, wasn't it, last it was week? Really yeah, it really good. Um, yeah, but I, I think that was a big part of it. Um, and then, as you said, you, in the UK, you already had a really overstretched healthcare system. So prior to the pandemic, I think... I hate to be critical of this, but I don't think the criteria for when somebody um, is, quote, sick enough to have to yeah. need treatment is, I think, is actually really ancient in the UK. Yeah. I don't think it's up to date with what we know of eating disorders now. So often people have to be underweight in order yeah. to get eligible for yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, residential care. And then, as you said, wait lists are really long if you're not significantly underweight. So that leaves, I mean, the, the vast majority of people with eating disorders are not underweight. Mm -hmm. Someone with bulimia, is it's very unlikely that they'll ever become underweight, but they will still have significant cardiovascular issues, significant mental health issues. Mm. So those criteria for how we define what a severe eating disorder looks like are mm -hmm. really um, ancient. And if you've... <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, well, no, I I think it's such an important point and I as you were as you were speaking I was sort of reflecting that for me as well that's one of my that's one of my like fears around talking to people about my own eating disorder is that I don't look like I ever had an eating disorder and even when it was most acute for me I probably didn't fall into most people's idea of what somebody with an eating disorder looks like. Like I was a lot I was underweight for what I am now. Like I was maybe, I don't know, it's been years since I was on a scale, but pick a number, like I don't know, 30 kilos lighter than what I am now. But, you know, even then I probably didn't look unwell. I was, I can't even tell you how miserable I was. But this is this is what drives me crazy is that those are, those are social and cultural stereotypes mm -hmm. of eating disorders. They're not actually grounded in any type of evidence. Mm. Um, so what we know of eating disorders, and I'll say it again because I don't think most people hear this, most people with eating disorders mm -hmm. are at or above a quote-unquote healthy weight. And how we define healthy weight is problematic in and of itself because yeah. we use BMI. Yeah, <laughs> And <laughs> using BMI, Arnold Schwarzenegger is morbidly obese yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so it's a poor it's a poor measure of health anyway um but you know i i'll i'll never forget i back when i was doing more writing i wrote an article for journal um for yoga journal about a young woman who had died on her yoga mat um in the midst of her struggles from an eating disorder oh. and she was dealing with bulimia and she was she was at in her healthy weight range so that idea that you have to be underweight to mm -hmm. have a severe eating disorder is, is ludicrous. You can mm -hmm. have cardiovascular issues from laxative abuse, from purging, mm -hmm. um, all of those things. And also, like, I don't think that physiological complications are a great measure of human suffering. No. You can have a, a an eating disorder that's severely disruptive to a person's life and create a tremendous amount of suffering for both the person and their family and their loved mm. ones. Um, and you're not going to see that in mm. electrolytes or on the scale. <laughs> um, and I think those individuals are just as deserving of treatment and of care. So, I mean, I couldn't agree more. We'll, we'll, pop a link to it in the show notes do you know the podcast maintenance phase mm -hmm. oh, i'm obsessed with it you'll love it but essentially it's like 
diet myth debunking. Okay. Um, and they have an episode on BMI. Okay. Which is really, is worth a listen. It's really great. Um, but I guess I'm curious and how, what are some of the ways that you're seeing in your research? And I guess also from your experience that you find that yoga supports eating disorder recovery. Like what is it about yoga? Mm. 10 yeah. years of study. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have like, where, where could I start? Um, I mean, I'll answer that question two ways. I'll answer that question as I would to a client with an eating disorder who's mm -hmm. asking right at that moment, why mm -hmm. yoga? Mm -hmm. And that was the question I asked when I had mm. a therapist recommend I do yoga. I was like, are you, I think I actually said, where did you go to school? <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, I thought it was a ridiculous suggestion from like a, like a licensed therapist to recommend yoga so um, for someone with an eating disorder. But um the way I would answer that now, it's it's a number of things, but really practically, one thing that people with eating disorders struggle with, both in the midst of an eating disorder and especially early in recovery, is sensing hunger and fullness. Mm. So some people are incredibly sensitive to fullness. Some people are incredibly sensitive to hunger. Some people don't feel hunger at all. Mm. And some people don't feel fullness at all. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what you would call in science interoception or interoceptive pathways. Um, so you've got, I mean, there's lots of interoception is, I'll just say for anyone who's not familiar mm. with that, your ability to sense what's happening inside your body at mm -hmm. any given time. And that can be hunger and fullness, or it could be thirst or your heart rate mm -hmm. or your body temperature or mm -hmm. pain. So one thing that yoga can be incredibly practically useful um, for is rebuilding interoceptive pathways that are under firing. Mm. <laughs> so, and I think also, and that's kind of the second thing I often um, answer when somebody's really skeptical of the yoga thing is yoga can also help us cope um, in a healthier way when we're when we have interoceptive pathways that are really oversensitive. Mm. Like I've got clients, especially clients with anorexia, that when they start to feel full, they panic. And mm. like they feel it as pain. They feel it like there's th that pathway is so sensitive. Mm -hmm. They get panic. They get anxiety. So just having like just simple pranayama practices for breathing mm -hmm. through that and calming the body back down um, can be really useful. So yoga, I think yoga can be useful in a lot of ways. Um, Self-regulation, you know, managing depression, manage, I shouldn't say managing, coping with depression, mm. coping with anxiety, mm. riding the waves mm -hmm. <laughs> of yeah. our emotional yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I think the, word, the term I use often is becoming more fluent in the language of our bodies. Oh, I love that. <laughs> just, just sometimes, like, I, it's, it feels like it's speaking German. I'm like, what yeah, are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> what are yeah. you well, the number of times, like, you can say to people, like, how does that feel? Or how are you feeling? Mm. And people can't name it. Can't name it. They're like, uh, they don't know what it is. Or they've, you know, I think, yeah, learning yeah. to speak the language of your body is just. Yeah. The other thing I'll answer to, so that's my personal kind of theory and mm. how I've crafted our our courses and our curriculum what I'm we're learning a lot in the research that we've done so we've got five studies that are either finished with data collection and awaiting publication or um, ongoing with mm -hmm. data collection um, two of which are randomized control trials which is really wow, exciting. That's very exciting yeah for our field but we've seen a few really interesting outcomes um, one is that 
yoga seems to help people appreciate their body for functionality rather than what it looks like. So I appreciate, and this came up with that client last night, um, I, she was talking about she'd always really hated her legs and had had this like so much judgment. And she's like, when I'm on my yoga mat, I'm thinking, my legs have carried me up mountains. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I, and I was like, whoa. Um, um, you know, so really appreciating this body isn't just what it looks like, mm. um, but this body is the thing that carries me through life. Mm-hmm. It allows me to hug my children, to carry, you know, mm. climb mountains. Um so we've seen that, and a surprising outcome from our our research so far, at least for our Eat, Breathe, Thrive curriculum, which is yoga plus some other things. Mm. Um, I think the most interesting finding for me personally is that most of the people coming into our program met the criteria for PTSD, mm. and then when they came out, they no longer met the criteria for PTSD. Oh, that's on interesting. As a whole, which was I was like, wow. <laughs> I had no. <laughs> That's really impactful. Yeah, isn't it, it? it? It was really thrilling. So there's something about I think the yoga practice that can help people who have experienced really significant trauma get mm. better at self-regulating mm-hmm. um, or using maybe healthy. I, I just say ride the wave. Yeah. You know, you can't make emotions go away, but yeah. you can you can get a little bit better at riding those waves when they when they hit you. Definitely. I mean. I think one of the things I often talk about with my students is that, and I talk about this a lot in the context actually of pregnancy yoga, Um, and there have been some interesting studies on pregnancy yoga, and one of the things that they found is that pregnancy yoga is really good at promoting feelings of self-efficacy. Oh, yeah. So this feeling of like, I know what I'm doing, I can do this, Um, a feeling of competency, of, of, of knowing that you can handle a situation, which obviously like if you're about to give birth, that's quite a nice feeling to have. <laughs> um, but also more broadly, like I think that's something that yoga is really good at doing of like, I know what I'm doing. I know that I can do this. Um, and then I think particularly when it comes to trauma, yoga uh, yoga is a way of practicing agency. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's what we use in our, our program. Yeah. Um, like there's almost there's almost no other discipline I can think of that allows you to practice agency in the way that a um, a yoga class that's geared towards inclusion and geared towards you know um, uh, you know I guess trauma sensitivity will you know dance no because dance is about looking a certain way being a certain way mm. Pilates mm. you know all of it it's like they're wonderful disciplines and wonderful modalities and can be very um, supportive but in terms of practicing agency Mm. yeah I I think I've I feel really lucky to have witnessed um and been able to listen to people's experience on the yoga mat when it comes to healing mental health issues Mm. and one thing I've heard especially from people who've experienced trauma is this feeling of once again feeling a sense of ownership of their own Mm -hmm. body feeling like this body is mine I choose what I wish to do with it I choose to step forward I choose to take a moment in child's pose that feeling of you said self-efficacy agency um and then I think also I I keep thinking of this client yesterday um like the in the throes of an eating disorder in the throes of any kind of mental illness depression Mm. anxiety you can feel so at the whim of that 
issue, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's I don't feel like I can get out of bed in the morning, Mm -hmm. I'm paralyzed with anxiety, I don't want to leave the house. And to have a practice that is so empowering, so like, Mm. so finally, I feel like I can do something Mm -hmm. for myself. Mm -hmm. I feel like I can do something to feel better. Um, And I know that in doing it, I have the experience of feeling a bit better. Like that is magic. And it's so simple. It's so weird that getting on a mat and making Mm -hmm. shapes with your body for 30 minutes does that. (laughs) And also, I think think the really powerful thing is that the yoga itself doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be very specific. Like people are always like, oh, what yoga shall I do for depression? I'm like, let's just do yoga. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like, you know, like if you really want to think about it, like maybe there are some things that you could, that are interesting to do, but just all yoga is useful. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. It's I, I, actually, you can literally make any shape of your body. If you're moving and you're mm. breathing and you're practicing that being with yourself, mm. chances are 30 minutes later, you're going to feel a whole lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, shockingly, we are already at the end of our time. I know. We could, <laughs> I feel like we could, we could have done for hours. Um, but where can where can our listeners find your work? Where can they find you on the internet? Sure. Um, so if you're, we've talked a lot about Eat, Breathe, Thrive. So if mm. you're interested in any of the research I talked about or getting trained to facilitate this curriculum mm. or just experiencing the curriculum yourself, eatbreathrive.org. I'll also mention we got a grant this year from the National Lottery and we're offering yoga for eating disorder recovery courses, which are a four-week virtual yoga course for free to anyone who needs them all year. Um, So that's really exciting. And then I didn't talk too much about Give Back Yoga, but um, Give Back Yoga is a nonprofit organization that helps yoga teachers and yoga therapists bring yoga to all people. And we give free yoga mats to to teachers that want to teach in prisons and care homes and Mm. um, their community. And we also provide free scholarships to yoga teacher training. we provide fiscal sponsorship to to nonprofit like small organizations that don't have nonprofit status in the U.S. that want to do um, work with yoga. So the website for that is givebackyoga.org. And we will link to all of those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea, for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Harriet. Pleasure as always. Thanks for listening to In Our Experience. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love hearing what you think, and it makes a really big difference. In the meantime, until the next episode comes out, why not check us out on our Instagram account at Nourish Yoga Training or pop us an email via our website. See you soon.